Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, this is Rose, and I have the great opportunity to sit in once again for the awesome Sean Hannity. So really looking forward to spending time with you all. I love his audience. I love you guys so much. Listen, get ready to talk. It's 800-941-SEAN, 1-800-941-7326. We have a lot coming up today. We're going to talk about transhumanism and ask the question, is it playing God? And the author of Dark Eon, Joe Allen, will be joining me. Also, the gold star dad that uh, really spoke his mind this past week, Mark Schmitz, will be joining me, and Pastor David Jeremiah. John Solomon's going to call in, and he's going to tell us about his interview with Donald Trump. But I want to get to my monologue right away, because I love sharing things that I feel very strongly about. And I'm thinking about, you know, the anniversary of the very first Continental Congress. You know, they met in Carpenters Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it was 249 years ago. This month, they started meeting on September 5th and went all the way through until October 26th. And there were delegates from 12 of the 13 colonies, and they met to discuss America's future under the growing British aggression. It was getting bad. You know, and today I'm guest hosting from studios in Pennsylvania, not that far from Philadelphia, the seat of the Continental Congress. And as a lot of you may know, in Pennsylvania, we claim that we are the Keystone State. And you know what that keystone is. It's that wedge-shaped piece that you can see at the very top of an arch doorway. It locks all the other pieces in place. And because of this, all associated stones depend on that keystone for support. I don't think we're doing a very good job of support right now for this nation. But Pennsylvania was the central location along the arch of the 13 original states. And that's why it's been associated as the Keystone State. And it was the birthplace of America. But around the time leading up to that first Continental Congress, aggression was really ramping up against the colonists. And the impetus for that first meeting of the Continental Congress was what was known as the Intolerable Acts. And there were many that were committed by the Crown against the colonists. And the most recent at that time was the Port Act. That All of those acts were viewed as coercive and designed to restrain control of those colonies particularly after the Boston Tea Party, where colonists all over this nation had united behind Boston. It was one of the first times that they actually came together and there was a strong sense of unity. Before that, they were all doing their own thing and they all had different backgrounds and nationalities and so forth. But at that time, they came together in a very strong way. The people, after having that national unity, called for a Continental Congress to convene for the very first time. And there were 55 delegates that met to discuss the future of the colonies. And they were some of the most well-known, illustrious, prominent group of men to actually meet in one place at one time. They had an Episcopalian preacher open up with prayer. And then he read the 35th Psalm, which in the beginning says, contend, Lord, with those who contend against me. Fight against those who fight against me. In that Psalm, David wants God to fight for him. 
So by reading that psalm, the pastor was asking on behalf of all of those present and all of those that they represented in the colonies to fight for them, for freedom. And so at that first Continental Congress, the delegates were, well, initially they were all over the place. And there was a lot of discussion and debate regarding strategy. But eventually, it was agreed that they were meeting primarily to show a combined authority and opposition to Britain. Those who served in the Continental Congress were tireless. They were fearless, even in the face of great intimidation by the monarchy. And you and I both know that intimidation creates a fearful environment. And that, in turn, creates a fearful people. And all that you can expect from a fearful people is inactivity and passivity. And that is very dangerous. So the landscape of this free and prosperous nation that we've come to know will change so drastically if we create this fearful environment or if we allow the infringement of any right because any infringement puts us on a course that leads to tyranny. The First Continental Congress was convened by men who understood tyranny. It was still very fresh on their minds when they set themselves about the business of ensuring they should live free from tyrannical reign. They united so that no one in what was to become the United States of America would be abused or intimidated again by their government. So we can't allow ourselves to move backwards towards tyranny. We've got to stay the course of freedom. George Washington warned us about big government when he said, government is not reason. It is not eloquence. It is force like fire, a troublesome servant and a fearful master. Never for a moment should it be left to irresponsible action. So how then are we as Americans to avoid the fate that other countries have suffered? History has no shortage of tyrants. Countries throughout history whose people awoke one morning to to find that they live in a land that they no longer recognize. But those tyrants are only as successful in as much as they could depend on a worn down, oppressed, abused, and intimidated citizenry. So we must stand firm, reject intimidation, never become fearful, and be only strong and courageous. Thomas Jefferson said, when the people fear their government, there's tyranny. You and I know that the only acceptable, legitimate plan of government requires that the authority of that government should depend on the consent of the people. And some in D.C. have become larger than the office that they hold. I mean, did you ever think that we were going to once again be under the oppressive hand of a tyrant? Yet here we are, and I mean government as a whole. You know, And this time, what's really weird is that hand of a tyrant isn't stretched out across an ocean to subdue us, but from within our own borders. When our founding fathers sought to liberate themselves, it wasn't just an absolute sovereign in the form of a monarchy that they recognized as an oppressor. They understood that their liberties were equally at risk at the hands of any oppressor. It was the belief of the colonists that they were an integral part of God's plan for this new world. They believed that it is God and God alone who is the author of our liberty, not man, just God. That conviction ultimately led to persuade many that independence from England was necessary if they were to preserve that God-given gift. So here we are, 2023, and once again, 
we find we must make a case for independence from a machine in D.C. that is even more powerful than a monarch across the ocean. It's like the ominous cloud banks of an approaching storm. Tyranny looms on our horizon. The landscape of this free and prosperous nation that we have come to know and love will change most drastically if we do nothing. We can't allow ourselves to move backwards towards tyranny. We must stay the course of freedom. How much did those colonists desire freedom? Ask yourself. Enough to change their lives radically. Because so necessary to the human condition was freedom, the founders were willing to give their own blood and fortunes to secure it. And woe to the generation who squanders their sacrifice for promises that a government has no intention to keep. It's as though we have abandoned the idea that it is our responsibility to lead. It is ours. Do we fully understand that by refusing to take on that yoke of responsibility, we ourselves are then responsible for the decline that we're experiencing? Author Rosalie Slater once said, have we spent too many years of worshiping the effects of our great success while forgetting the cause of our success? Well said. And perhaps we have allowed ourselves to become too comfortable in the pleasures that living in a free and prosperous nation afforded us, no doubt. And by doing so, we've forgotten what it was that led us here in the first place. Do we not, each one of us, bear some responsibility? And if we do, isn't it then up to each of us to preserve the effects of our great success? We've been given freedom, people. It's a blessing to choose our representation even. This is an awesome responsibility. Noah Webster said about this, When you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of a republic government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. If, he said, the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good, so much as for selfish or local purposes, corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed to execute the law. The public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men and the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. Oh my gosh. Well, well, well. Laws will be made not for the public good. And as a result, the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. Boy, oh boy, Noah. Were you ever right on? What a warning. And that is precisely where we found ourselves. We've not heeded his warning concerning our obligation to choose rulers that are just men. As a result, we found ourselves being led by cowards, by men who do not have our best interest at heart. We need men and women who not only know what is right, but aren't afraid to point out what is wrong. Even in the midst of criticism, the only leaders that we must accept are those who, once they have established the difference between right and wrong, which seems to be a really difficult (laughs) procedure right now, stand their ground without wavering, without compromise. 
once we've lost our freedoms, it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to regain them. Our republic must be preserved. And to do that, we require real leaders. So maybe it's time to consider your role and involvement in politics, even at a local level. You know, it is a privilege to serve. And if you think that you couldn't possibly, remember that God has equipped us to be capable servants, whether it's running for public office ourselves or electing the right man or woman to serve in office. It is our duty to be sure that we are represented by people of character. We must seek out leaders that demonstrate the same virtues and commitments that those who established this country demonstrated. And to do less, in my opinion, is the greatest insult to those great men that met over 249 years ago. Let us accept nothing less in the future than a demand for moral authority and good character from those who will lead us. This is Rose. I'll be back with lots more here on Hannity coming up. <laughs> 